Hey everybody, and welcome to Time Extend. Uh, we're back again this week. You're listening to Adam Ismail, and with me, as always, is a wonderful... Brendan Rorison, and today, um, a bit less structured than usual, we'll be talking through some of the latest news, but there hasn't been much to talk about, and then we're just going to have a, a bit of a free-form conversation at the end about what could be coming next in the pod in terms of segregation system and other things. So, yeah, it's a bit. it's been a bit of a... An empty news cycle since we did our last podcast, hasn't it, Adam? Yeah, I mean, there's a regular, you know, kind of cycle of GT Sport updates and Forza updates, and that's pretty much it. We're really looking forward to games like Forza Horizon 4, and I'm personally looking forward to F1 2018, but it honestly seems like kind of a a dull year in general as far as looking out into the the rest of 2018, but that's that's something that we'll talk about later on in the podcast for sure. Uh, for now, we'll start out with one of the only news items we're really talking about, which is something that we've wanted to discuss since the last time we had a show, which is just what the hell is going on at Codemasters Evo, and uh, how disappointed we are to hear about what happened. Uh, if you haven't been paying attention to the news, probably about a month ago at this point, um, it was uh, basically reported by Eurogamer that... Codemasters Evo, who developed Onrush, um, that's a studio that used to be Evolution Studios that uh, worked under Sony and developed Drive Club, then got bought out by Codemasters. Uh, they've seen significant layoffs, and uh, the most critical, noble of which being Paul Ruchinski, who was the game director for Onrush. And uh, according to the report, anonymous sources described the studio situation as having been, quote, decapitated by all of the downsizing. So, Brendan, I know you obviously have uh, you know a lot more details to share on this, and you've been following the situation closely, but just obviously the, the worst-case scenario we could have, you know, we, we wished wouldn't happen to the studio. Yeah, um, we'd be lying if we said we were surprised about this news, um, but the, the thing that was actually surprising was how fast this happened, because... If you look at the timeline, um, Onrush was announced at a pretty big event at the PlayStation um, Experience, I believe it is, in Paris, and it was pretty hyped up. It got an actual trailer slot in that show. Um, most people associated it with Motorstorm from that point, for, for obvious reasons, the game's content at that time, and the fact it was in that PlayStation conference. Um, and then we found out that it was Evo actually making it, and that was really cool, because after what happened with Drive Club and Sony, it was great to see these guys kind of found some feeding. And then um, there was that awkward time period where there was like no news for the game at all. And there was a genuine worry about how well it would perform. And then like we heard about the beta coming. Uh, people played the beta, they weren't that impressed for multiple reasons we've discussed prior in this podcast. And the game comes out, doesn't touch the top 40 in the UK alone, which is a pretty heavy racing game market. Um, and then that is when the doubt started to seep in our minds. We discussed it. We were worried that the game takes too long to grab the audience that decided to purchase it, which means that it's hard to recommend to others. And then, almost out of the blue so soon, we find out this has happened, where Codemasters has basically, um, let's be honest, they've basically defined it as a failed experiment at this point. You don't decapitate a team because something slightly underperforms. They obviously had high expectations for Onrush, but I would question why they had those expectations if that's true, because this was always going to be an experimental game. Did they think it was going to be a hit right out the gates? I, I just don't know. It's it's mental to think that this soon after launch, um, half the team seems to have absolutely been killed off, essentially. Yeah, I, I understand that this is a business, and I understand that you, you make incredible investments into, especially new IP, like onrushes and risks, you know, like a new IP that that is kind of maybe difficult for people to grasp out of the gate. I mean, onrush is definitely, in terms of adoption by the market, it was always going to be an uphill battle because it was this unproven franchise that also was trying to do something very new and very different from anything that had come before. So, you know, if that doesn't work out, I understand that it makes you more conservative and it may be you know it might make you question your judgment and whatnot but at the same time 
you know these people have been in the business Codemasters Evolution everyone at the studio for a very long time and I'm sure they were aware that something like this was you know very likely to happen and even with Evolution's best intentions even with um, Rushy's you know desire to bring something new to the market and shepherd this project this always had to be in the back of everyone's minds as a strong possibility because unfortunately you're working on a racing game and racing games today are, they're not what they used to be so the fact that Codemasters would turn around right after Onrush failed out of the gate and you know almost like they were taken by surprise aside like nope that's it you know we're done and then just just cut the studio it, it's it's amazing like what did what did they expect i mean that's yeah. that's kind of that's kind of where i'm coming from here it's like if you wanted a sure thing then why didn't you have them make grid three or exactly why didn't exactly. you have them do anything else that was more obvious or help out with dirt or do something like that i mean to to just you know basically say you get one chance and you screwed it up and now now you're done it's I don't know. It, it just it completely throws me for a loop, and I mean, I'm sure everyone at the studio. Yeah, exactly. Because the thing is, like, you take a talented team like that on, you give their one shot at glory to a new IP with an established concept that goes against the grain of everything racing, and then you're a bit shocked when it doesn't set the world alight. Especially when, and let's be frank here, it had a less than impressive marketing cycle. That mm-hmm. like the. The, the most we had was the social media account which would constantly tease announcements that weren't that special and it means it kind of gen- I mean even now it's still happening with whatever ranked mode is like we still don't have a ranked mode in the game they've announced that there's a pre-season or whatever but like by the time the ranked season comes along after this news especially how many people are still going to be playing the game and that that kind of blame almost falls on Codemaster's shoulders for me too you can, like when news like this gets out, people's interest in a game is obviously going to drop because they're going to be thinking, well, is it worth picking up? It, it's what happened to Split Second and it's what happened to Blur as well. And it, it's it's just so... It was so obvious from the get-go that we would see another situation similar to those games. I mean, this is... Um, obviously, I'd love to make a comparison to Blur because I love that game. But um, we've talked before about how Activision basically put a $40 million prize on the table for Bizarre Creation, saying, if Blur is the next Call of Duty for us in terms of racing, we'll give you this cash. But Absolutely, then it was a total yeah. pendulum switch to, no, nah, we're just going to can the company. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy. Arcade racing games just seem to get no leeway from bigger companies. And it's like you said... Um, it, it's it's expensive to make a new IP. I can only imagine the cost for this game because of the technology that was involved as well. But questions have to be asked in terms of the business risk. If if they're talk if we're talking business, let's get into a business discussion then. Because who thought the risk would have the payoff that they were looking for? Because nobody had heard of On Rush before. Everybody assumed it was a racing game, which it, which it wasn't. And then it comes out. And what were Codemasters expecting? That, that is pretty Yeah, much I mean, people didn't question. even know Onrush, Onrush was a word. I thought it was something that they made up. And then, yeah, and then Rushy, posted, <laughs> Rushy posted a definition, like a Google definition of the word Onrush. I'm like, okay. Yeah, I mean, it just... It, it seemed so, like, not properly thought out. Especially when you consider that this is Evolution Studios. Unfortunately, you know closed by Sony and everyone every arcade racing fan out there every racing fan out there saw this you know offer from Codemasters to, to take them on and kind of extend them a lifeline as you know the best possible pairing and it was like okay they have they have a safe home at Codemasters uh, and, and we all did assume that they'd be working on a pretty safe project in the form of a new grid or a new dirt or whatever and then to see them working on Onrush was like, okay, they're really, you know, they're, they're really bullish about this partnership, but I, I guess that makes sense. And then, yeah, you get you get one shot to make it work, and you don't. And um, something that's really telling is that uh, the Cody's, um, whoever, whoever this PR individual was, uh, basically said to Eurogamer, and I have the quote here, in response to all, of the, all of this news, 
Uh, it is normal course of business for game teams to evolve as projects launch and move into service. And as other projects uh, and as other new projects start, as such, it isn't appropriate to comment on day-to-day -day movement of staff changes. Now, of course, they're never going to comment on day-to-day -day movement of staff changes, but painting this as a normal course of business for teams to evolve is... It just it twists the knife, really. It's another example of, of like, if this wasn't the racing genre, this would be a lot bigger deal, this quote. Oh, absolutely. The Codemaster should be thankful in that regard that the racing genre isn't, like, uber popular because if this had came out from one of the bigger development houses, you'd have guys like Jim Sterling that live for this kind of stuff piggybacking off oh, of it yeah. and creating that negative press because, I'm sorry, that, that, is, that is utter bullcrap. Like, yeah. it, you can't say decapitating a studio, not my words, is a normal course of business for a new IP three weeks into its release cycle. Like, come on. And Codemasters has expressed, well. <laughs> I mean, you're absolutely right, and Codemasters has expressed this kind of bad judgment, in my opinion, many times in the past. I think if you look at their output from, like, the mid to late 2000s, it was like they were really onto something with the first Dirt and the first Grid. And then they decided, you know, and Dirt 2, I would even say, a lot of people kind of were bothered by the, 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 the Ken Block-focused nature of the game, but I think it sold really, really well and got the series to continue. But then you look at some of their decisions. Like, there was a time between, like, Dirt Showdown and F1 Race Stars and Grid 2 had come out, and then they're doing Grid All Sport, and it's like, what are you guys doing? Like, I, I enjoy seeing as many racing games as possible but at the end of the day no one and you know again this this is a genre that is shrinking if anything no one i knew was excited for <laughs> dirt showdown or f1 race stars or even grid autosport which uh, by every indication i've played a little bit of the game looks like it would have been fine as grid 2 but for some reason wasn't grid 2 not only that, but it was only released on the prior gen consoles. And only well, released but... on the prior gen consoles. <laughs> yeah, so it just, they started playing out a lot of games that were just like very questionable decisions. And then in response to that, we see the team, or we see the studio overall, kind of their, their output after that, that space and like, you know, maybe like whether it was like 2011, 2012, 2013, really slowed after that. We got Dirt Rally. And we kept getting F1 games, and that's been it. And Dirt 4, obviously, was supposed to be, you know, that was supposed to bring the series back to its prime time, and then we haven't gotten, you know, there was no DLC, there was no post-launch support, we were told there would be, or there would be something to look forward to. Instead, we kind of got this shell of a game that had a, a decent, you know, track-building uh, track system, but not something that really... It was something that had to be built upon. And I think what we're seeing, the... the, the moral of the story here is that Codemasters doesn't want to put that investment in. So if they don't want to put that investment in with their established franchises, why are we shocked that <laughs> yeah. this happened to Onrush? Well, I mean, and there's there's one title, um, it's very arcadey, but we had the pleasure, and use that term loosely, of oh, playing, yes. that was uh, Micro Machines World Series. How Another could I forget? Of... I reviewed that game. <laughs> yeah, and what does that say? This is, a, this is one of their most established franchises that if done right, as shown with Toy Box Turbos when they briefly lost the license, um, if they do it right enough, it'll have a decent community who enjoy the game. But instead, we just got product placement up the ass and um, a, an absolute half-hearted attempt at bringing back a beloved series. And to bring it back to the main games, like Dirt 4 was fine. I reviewed the game and gave it a 3.5. Um, that's probably me being a little bit generous. Um, but, like, it was a good game. But, like we keep talking about, it didn't seem as if the investment was there. The menus seemed really cheap. And making the whole game based around your stage was strange when they... When, like, I get it. You want to show off that new feature. But it wasn't strong enough to hold the whole game. And um, they kind of ruined the sim handling from Dirt Rally as well. Well, my opinion, anyway. Um, you know what's interesting when you look at Onrush and then you look at Dirt 4 Onrush seems like much more of a triple A product yeah agreed and that's the thing I think Dirt 4 was very similar to the output you see from like Milestone and Big Ben and those types of guys it did feel like uh, like I I'll be honest when Dirt 3 came out 
I was one of the moaners about the Ken Blockisms in the game, but that game has ten times more character than Dirt 4. It has it in spades, and I still enjoyed it properly, even with the the, the little bits of annoyance I had. Compared to Dirt 4, that like it's it's the comparing water to Pepsi, basically. Yeah, no, <laughs> there's Dirt, like there's nothing to Dirt 4 in terms of personality. Dirt 3 was fantastic. I mean, Dirt 3 had I, they they did. I mean, even with the Ken Blockisms, they scaled that back from Dirt 2, where it was literally the entire game, and Dirt 3 had a ton of content. And I think we all expected that entering the generation that we're in now that, you know, Codemasters would uh, had, had figured it out and would continue that success that they've had with grid, with uh, Dirt and Grid and whatnot. And it just it never happened, which is amazing because I, I really think it just went wrong with just the, the planning. Like something – maybe they're just very reticent when it comes to, like, doing what people expect, but almost to a fault because they end up – taking chances that they're actually in no way confident enough to take obviously as we've seen and it just sets them back it's it it always seems to be one step forward and two steps back with them and now i mean i guess um again according to the report basically what we're going to see from evolution uh from codemasters evo is that they're going to be supporting other cody's teams or on uh i'm sorry quote-unquote less less risky projects which in, in based you know thinking about what codemasters does i can't imagine that's going to be anything substantial it's probably going to be whatever micro machines thing they take a bet on next you know if they're not going to make a full-on game if they're if their head count has been uh, i hate those freaking decapitation analogies that they make um you know if if they are significantly downsized and they're not equipped to work on you know a full uh, a triple a style experience like we would expect from codemasters so really what are they going to do um they've pumped out some onrush updates interestingly since all of this has happened and some substantial ones so we'll see how far that goes but i think it's all unfortunately very up in the air the thing is you did bring up how um happy everybody was to hear that um evil had found another home against all odds mm. but um i just don't see from codemaster's perspective how this investment made sense when they were so quick to, to kind of half the team because what is going on with grid like what is the situation there it's a franchise people like even with two which kind of um, divided people um, it, I mean, it was still reasonably popular. We were nearly done this console cycle, realistically speaking. Probably have another two years. Yeah, is it I, because it's too ambitious? Did he see it's too ambitious? I don't understand. I I don't get it because you know the racing genre, as we said, there, there's nothing sure here anymore. There's there's no bet. You know, there's no safe bet except for like Forza Horizon in terms of this will yeah. sell really well. But Grid seemed to betray that and seemed to be... I, I don't know what the numbers on Grid 2 are. I, I should. I mean, I imagine it wasn't enormously successful. I mean, the first one was very successful, but like Grid seemed to be something that, that you could always rely on uh, at least getting a lot of technical praise, which could, you know... The, the niche nature of the genre could kind of transition well into decent sales with the core group. But I, I, I don't know. Grid, grid seemed like something, some obvious thing that they should keep doing, and then they haven't. And, yep, yeah, it, it really makes no sense. I mean, it's it's kind of amazing that they've almost become like, and this is a, a very sad way to put it, but they've almost become like the EA of racing games. When you look at oh, we're just going to make F1 every year, and that's basically going to be it now. Why Why take a chance? Why do anything else, you know? And especially F1 with the license, with the amount that that license has to cost and all the demands of the license, I can't imagine it's that's an ideal situation for Codemasters to, you know, rake in as much as possible. So it's... I, I don't know. It seems... I, I don't want to be that kind of armchair, you know business guy of like hey i know what you should do make dirt five and grid three and stop complaining and you know maybe you'll have a little bit more in the coffer for something like onrush to not gut the studio the second that they don't do what you want them to but 
again, these these the the established franchises that they have, the established names that people know and love and respect and want to see more of, are consistently squandered. <laughs> and it makes yeah, no sense. Exactly. <laughs> I just looked up um, Grid Two sales, and um, in the UK, I actually sat atop the UK charts for two weeks running, beating out FIFA Thirteen. So. Yeah. Okay. It was a high seller. So that seems like something you should do again. <laughs> that seems that seems like a good idea. But yeah, I, my my takeaway is, uh, and it does actually, it reminds me a lot of because we talk a lot about Sega on this podcast. It does remind me a lot of how uh, Sega's had terrible judgment, you know, towards the latter end of their days as a hardware maker, and basically decided like. You know, oh, Shinobi, Golden Axe, all the franchises that people love. Like, we're not going to make those anymore. And then, you know, they were basically starting from nothing. It's it's like in this in this business, you have to you have to take. I mean, we like you to take chances as fans. We want to see you take chances. But the only way those chances get to be taken is if you have some sort of established. Unfortunately, if you have some sort sort of established form of income in, you know. A game that you know will sell well. Codemasters has consistently decided not to go that route, so it doesn't really look like the situation can can get better. But you know that's one takeaway, and then the other takeaway for me, as as you said, Brendan, is just like, why did you? Why were you so quick to snap them up if you were also going to be so quick to shut them down? Exactly. Um, You don't snap up a talented team like that green light a very ambitious project they have in mind and then happily just kind of um, throw away half the team at the end if it doesn't meet your expectations because I mean I'm thinking on this from Codemasters perspective they've really took an L here because they're the ones that are going to loss out on a lot of good talent. Yeah definitely I mean when you when you look at I remember you telling me about your impressions about the Omrush beta, and I didn't play very much of the beta, but you were just like, you know, the game felt like a mess. It didn't feel polished. It didn't feel... It just it just didn't feel right. It was running at 30 frames for some reason, and just nothing yep. was right. And then, you know, the game comes out like a month or so later, and I play it, and I'm like, this is fantastic. And you're like, yeah, that's because they turned it around from the beta in such a way, in a way that you didn't expect and from what i've seen online a lot of people didn't expect and yeah it speaks to evolution's ability to pump out those kinds of experiences even without sony's backing and you know the pedigree of a first party developer they they went to codemasters and they made a game that was really special um that even regardless of how poorly the game sells or what happens in the future to a studio i think whoever played on rush will remember it on both you know in a, in a good way and a bad way as another blur or another split second um but yeah to to, to take that team and then just completely splinter them now it's a shame that we're not going to see the same group working together again in the future because i think uh that's really what a lot of fans of this genre want to see yeah, exactly, because even, I mean, the most natural progression for me wouldn't have been getting rid of half the team. It would have been <laughs> saying, well, guys, we tried with Onrush. Um, it looked great. People really want a core racing experience, so let's just totally rip off Motorstorm and give the people what they want, yeah. what I would want. You know how I feel about Motorstorm. But, like, oh, my, it's free It's free money on the table. Even make it a dirt spin-off if you have to. Like, like yeah. dirt extreme something like that just um yeah i mean there are loads of dormant racing games that they could have ripped off they could have made a straight up burnout successor they could have made a straight up (laughs) motorstorm successor there are so many different directions that they could have gone to if they if they wanted to make something different that wasn't being made now if they if they really felt like we've done grid to death and we need something else like they easily could go make a motor storm and just not call it that um yeah exactly i That's mean people thought on rush was <laughs> in in a weird in a weird way i never quite understood why people love motor storm so much not because i thought it was a, i mean you didn't like it very much i thought it was fine but like at least in the u.s like, i don't remember anyone playing it 
I mean, maybe it was big in the UK and other parts of the world, but it was, I feel like it was very, very overlooked over here. I think it's unfortunately like another bomb by evil, which is sad because like, mm. I, I don't think they've ever made a bad game. Like, you could argue all day about the way Drive Club launched and if it deserved any form of success after that, but like, every single game they've they've made I have enjoyed to a certain extent, even Motorstorm. Like, what was, what was the game you just mentioned? Um, Drive Club. Oh, Drive Club, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah sorry. Um, <laughs> Drive Club, yeah, so like, even yeah. with the way that launched, you could see why some people would have been a bit miffed with it, but they, they rescued it really well, and yeah, I don't think I've, they've made a game that I haven't enjoyed to a certain extent, put it that way, and um, now I can't wait for the, the, <laughs> the evil team that was canned to make Excite Truck 2, because that's definitely happened. <laughs> yeah yeah Amrush was okay but what they really should have ripped off was Excite Truck Excite Truck or Shocks take your pick Paul <laughs> yeah <sighs> so we'll see what happens going forward with Evo obviously and you know it, it kind of feels a little it feels like a sour note to end on but yeah we really just don't know and uh, until that happens we'll be clutching our copies of Onrush and softly sobbing it'll be um it'll take its place nicely in the library of um could have been games right beside blur split second and shocks so yeah yep. and right. mod nation racers uh, <laughs> well, it's a bit different uh, i don't know if mod nation racers deserves to be up there but nevertheless the two <laughs> should also still be around uh <clears throat> so we are going to take a quick break and then we will be back with Lots of random randomness. <laughs> Look forward to it. And we're back, and as we said in the beginning of the show, this is just going to be kind of a, a fireside chat with your friends Adam and Brendan. Just going to talk about whatever it is we want to talk about related to racing games and such. Uh, usually we do the Sega Racing Studio, or oh, Jesus, Sega Racing <laughs> System here. I mean, there's, there's another studio that we miss, yeah. um, but... Uh, and, and it's not something that we have to do uh, every time we do a show, but uh, Brendan has not gotten a new Dreamcast game for a while because the market for Dreamcast games isn't always as uh, inexpensive as we wish it was. So you wanted to know where to go next, right? Yep, correct. Um, obviously, we want to try and get a game that will get some good discussion going, and there's as we've talked about before, it's weird the Dreamcast that did have a lot of kind of third party racing games that would inspire discussion so what pops into your head Adam is that a place we could go next for the next podcast I suspect you know what I'm going to say because I've said it every time we've <laughs> oh, done gosh. this show which is <laughs> Test Drive Le Mans um, aka so, Le Mans 24 Hours so that's an awkward one because like for no apparent reason the resellers really rate that game very highly um <sighs> You're, you're looking at the it's because it's amazing <laughs> yeah. Onrush is fell in price faster than Test Drive oh no that's so sad <laughs> so yeah it's like on eBay if you have a look there's like um, obviously for the PAL region copies it's it kind of hovers around the £30 mark which is absolutely mad because the only other games I see that kind of touch that price range are um, Power Stone 2 and Shenmue everything else is kind of around £20 to less so yeah, unfortunately for now, I think we're going to have to shelf that one until I <laughs> find other ways to get a hold of it. 
that seems that seems kind of low for um, Shenmue. But I mean, the fact that Test Drive is up there among its ranks is uh, something I can take solace in. I mean, you know, my feelings on Test Drive Lamar are just that like it's the best racing game on the system made by Sega, which is like how you achieve that. It's just mind boggling to me. But yeah, I mean, I love that game to death. If you're not going to play that and we've already explored the terribleness of Sega GT, um, Ferrari F-355 Challenge, I'd say that that's a good, really, really simple, I mean, it's interesting because it's an arcade game, but it's also a sim racer, kind of melded into one in a way that, like, never happened before or after that. Uh, that's a fun game, very, very quick and simple. That, that will mostly be a discussion probably about the physics. Um, and if you're not going to talk about that, um, yeah, I mean, we still got to do that Tokyo Racer pod don't we Tokyo Highway Battle yeah still got yeah. to do that yeah where you can talk about the first game and the second one also is hard to get but fortunately I have it so I could talk about that <laughs> yeah the second one's one of those uh, those games we talked about that for some reason in terms of price it's in the kind of upper echelon whereas the first game can be found for pretty cheap so yeah, I think uh, the Ferrari game sounds like a good one. Looking at the prices as well, it's relatively cheap and available pretty easily. So I just have to to pick the seller, and then we could look into that next. What about Daytona USA two thousand one? Oh, so this is a weird one. Um, once again, for some reason, mm. <laughs> of all the games that Daytona port, I'm looking now. Um, PAL version, fully boxed, forty two pounds. Jesus. I mean, have you never spent that much on an old game? Because I definitely have before. I'm not telling you to do it for a purpose of the show. You don't have to do that. But <laughs> I know this stuff's expensive. But there have been a couple times where I've made an exception. Now, obviously, I, I wouldn't suggest that you do that maybe on Daytona 2001 because it's not that good. <laughs> but on another more deserving game, Test <laughs> Drive, um, I think it might be well worth it. <laughs> yeah, I think I've just got to break down the door effectively of spending too much money on old games I think once I do it once that'll be it I'll be buying every yeah. expensive game ever in existence for the Dreamcast so it's just a case of um, breaking that wall down so we'll go with Ferrari F355 for now and then after that I think it'll be time to try and hunt down a copy of Test Drive so that you can stop bugging me about it the best thing <laughs> the best thing about the Dreamcast is it only has like six games in its entire library so you don't <laughs> have to worry about spending too much money it's it's why I love being a Sega fan as opposed to a Nintendo fan because um, there really isn't that much to buy and also it's, uh, the company doesn't hate its fans and removes ROMs from the internet but that's another story um, <laughs> so, so yeah. I mean, the interesting thing about F three fifty five is that it also got a PlayStation two port. Um, yeah, I, I seen that. Yeah, did that did that see release in the UK? Because it it came out here, but very very quietly. It seems like it did because I just found a PAL copy of the PS two game there once mm. I was ordering my Dreamcast one, which is now ordered. So I can confirm cool. that will be your next one. Yeah, give me the the tracking number, or else it doesn't. It, it didn't count. Whatever. Um, <laughs> the PS2, the the PS2 port of uh, F355 is interesting because it, it, I think it was basically like all of the games that Sega released at the end of the Dreamcast lifespan, which honestly was like the the entire lifespan of Dreamcast was the end of its lifespan because it was only like a year or like a year and a half. Um, they decided to port some of those games with the help of third-party studios to the PS2, and F-355 was one of them. But the weird thing about that game is that um, it was very... I mean, at least for me, it's very hard. it was very hard to find. For years, it was like one of my holy grails of like going to a retro game shop and trying to find it, and I went everywhere looking for that game. And it's not even that expensive online. I mean, I think it's like... 20 or 30 dollars which is like more than you feel like you should have to pay but it's not the end of the world but just randomly i was in i was in a store you know um probably like a year ago at this point and uh managed to find it in a way i wasn't expecting at all in a in a place that really didn't have a wide selection so that was pretty surprising and i played it and finally 
you know, could experience the exact same game that I liked on the Dreamcast, but on the PS2. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. that is pretty cool that it, it did end up getting released on the PS2 as well. Yeah, uh, I don't really think there are any differences outside of the fact that uh, it has a chase cam. But that's... Why, why am I spoiling our Sega Racing system? I'm going to shut up now. <laughs> um, now, you played something recently that you were talking to me about uh, on the Switch. That Yes. I, yeah, that's pretty interesting. So, um, basically, um, I picked up a copy of um, Bandai Namco's Go Vacation, which um, for people who are unacquainted, and I imagine there's a lot, it's basically um, a minigame collection that originally came out on the Wii, and it was held in pretty high regard. I think that's why it got a Switch port. It's, um, it's plenty of minigames. Most are crap, but like um, <laughs> it's held yeah. in high regard. The minigames suck. <laughs> but well, that, that's like any minigame collection, though. The reason we like some are because they've got three or four good games. And that's kind of the case. Uh, that's true. Um, yeah. There's like a really good uh, jet ski game, which is reminiscent of Wave Race, and. Um, there's like snowboarding, which is a lot like Cool Borders on the PlayStation 1. There's like stuff like that. But um, one of the most interesting parts is there's like, um, so just to explain how the game's set up, basically it's like a massive holiday resort where there's like four key areas. So there's the mountain range, the beach, um, what's the other one? Uh, oh, it's like island or something, which seems mm. pretty close to the beach. And then there's the metro area. And then the metro area is where you get like your Tony Hawk style mini games and stuff. But there's like a, a a literal racetrack in the middle of the metro zone, where you you race actual cars. Now, why this is interesting is because with it being developed by Bandai Namco, they effectively just um, lifted the mechanics from the Ridge Racer that must have came previously and placed mm. it into this game. Sound effects and boost systems included. So what you've effectively got on Switch isn't Ridge Racer Eight. Like Ridge Racer Light, basically, and yeah. there's like different track layouts and stuff. So like, um, there's like six different track layouts, and at least four of them are just uh, lifted from other Ridge Racer games. Really? See, I didn't know some of the tracks were from older games. Yeah. So like, uh, the background and stuff always looks the same because, like I said, it's like an open world, so it's just like, the track hmm. layout. But yeah. you've got like seven six five in there and oh, other that's variants cool. and. No one, no one will get. Honestly, I'll show you some more gameplay because it is really rad. And like, um, rival cars and stuff will have like the team names of other Ridge Racer companies, and you'll see like going uh, billboards for like Janade and that type of thing. Um, and yeah, you've got so many little nods to Ridge Racer, and the most obvious one isn't there in terms of the music, which was a bit of a disappointment. There's no um, Ridge Racer music tracks in there. And that's but, the um, easiest thing to put in the game. <laughs> exactly. That's so disappointing. Yeah. They've got oh. the announcer um, from Six, I believe, the Xbox 360 game. Okay. Um, they've got the boost systems. So like, once you beat the, the beginner race, it opens up other boost types, so you can change between the drift and the auto regen and that type of thing. And yeah, it's like this. Like, I didn't know this was here. To to be perfectly honest, I didn't know this mini game was in it. So when I started it, and like, you know that way, it's almost surreal. Your brain works out what the physics are, and then it clicks like a second later. Like, holy shit, this is just Ridge Racer. <laughs> yeah, and it makes sense because Ridge Racer is actually pretty like, especially the the more recent ones. And by recent, I'm still going back almost ten years. <laughs> Um, they are pretty easy to play. There's not much yeah. you really have to think about. But, yeah, I, I had seen something on Go Vacation not long before you mentioned that to me. And I just, I don't know. I honestly discounted it because I was like, well, it looks like they put a Ridge Racer car and some sound effects and a boost gauge in there. And, you know, it's not really Ridge Racer. But no. uh, you... You know, having a favorable experience with it, coupled with the fact that like the last three Ridge Racers sucked, makes it seem like it's just <laughs> as viable an entry in the series as any other. So that is a, a sad fact. Yeah. Like, um, <laughs> th there's something about the mini game that makes you realise a bit in perspective just how little the franchise has evolved, and that kind of made me a bit sad <laughs> that it can be like yeah. a mini game as part of like fifty others, which include things that are literally like moving the controller into like. Shadows 
while you're like uh, dropping from the sky, like a skydive type thing. Like Bandai Namco consider Ridge Racer on the same wavelength as that. That's what we can gather from Go Vacation. Yeah. But um, yeah, I just wanted to bring it up because it, it was so random to see that. And, um, That's I, cool. I mean, I was happy enough with the references, like CC billboards with the team names and stuff, mm. like the Terrazzi and stuff. Like that would have been enough for me, but finding out there's like a a micro ridge racer in there was really cool and it made me wonder like can you imagine we got a game like uh, in the, the guise of like micro machines but it's a ridge racer game I think that would be really cool and that's what it kind of made me think about the idea of like tiny ridge racer cars because obviously in the game the cars look like kind of toy cars rather than the full size ones in the actual games so yeah it's, it's just a pretty cool bit of trivia that, that, that was hidden in there and um Hopefully that wasn't with the guy uh, in LinkedIn who had Ridge Racer. For I was going to say, do you, do we think that that was Ridge Racer Eight? Because at this point, it may as well have been. Oh wow, that'd be a, a Shyamalan style twist. Oh, that would be that would be terrible, but probably the what happened. Um, yeah, it did get me thinking uh, about my favorite racing mini games and otherwise not racing games. And um, something that comes to mind is I used to have a lot of fun with the racing games in Super Monkey Ball. Oh, Did you yeah, ever they play those? Great. Yeah. yeah. The controlling was weird because, like, I mean, the steering was strange because it's Super Monkey Ball, obviously, so you're moving the stage and not the, the monkey. The but, yeah. but, yeah, I mean, I mean, I guess that, that made it actually kind of, you know, unique and frustrating because those games aren't, you know the whole nature of it is that it's hard to to get the ball yeah. to go where you want it to go, but yeah, with all power ups and stuff, I actually had a really fun time playing that game. I think that's indicative of Monkey Ball in general. In the earlier games, at least the mini games were a lot better than they'd any right to be. I can remember spending hours playing Monkey Target. Monkey Target's Monkey fantastic, Ace. yeah. Yeah. Billiards were good too. Bowling was fun. Uh, yeah. There was the the fight game where you had to punch oh, each other off man. the platform. Like, yeah. yeah, there were a lot of great games, um, and the, and the racing one was pretty good. The racing one was actually like when you think about it, it's probably like the most, uh, I don't know, the most like intensive one or whatever. Because like it's it's a full on game like you have like three or four stages or something like tracks, and then you have a full suite of power ups. And the tracks are all very different. And I think there was like a championship mode too. Like it was, you know, it was basically like a mini Mario Kart in there. So, yeah, I remember playing it like way, way too long for what it really should have been. Like it was just that, to be honest, I'm a bit of a Monkey Ball fanboy in general. Oh, I love Monkey Ball. It's so good. So good. And those Monkey Ball is like the puzzle. Yeah, Monkey Ball is like the, it's like the puzzle. I mean, it's not really a puzzle game, but I, I consider it like the puzzle game that a racing game fan would like because yeah. it involved there there are physics in Monkey Ball and you were steering in a 3D space and that makes it kind of like a racing game. I mean, honestly the the, the main game, like the purpose of the main game in Monkey Ball is to finish the stage as quickly as possible. So yeah, it, it is almost kind of like, like a racing game, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And we talk about dead genres and we're talking about the the racing series, but the whole marble rolling thing as well, that's kind of fell yeah, off a cliff and that was fun. I mean I know technically speaking we just discussed it like you weren't moving the ball in Monkey Ball, but yeah, I mean it'd be great to see that series make some form of comeback. I know like Sega made a few games during their <laughs> brown age, as they like to call it. The They're first game really bad games. <laughs> <laughs> the first game I think I had on my 360, on my Xbox 360, after PGR3. Well, I think it was, I think it was PGR3, and then everybody got Geometry Wars, right? And then yeah, there was like a drought for a while. There was like nothing, and I got um, Marble Blast Ultra. It was like one of the first Xbox Live Arcade games, and that game was a blast. And I. I'm only now realizing the pun and what I just said, but it was really good, <laughs> uh, and it was it kind of like scratchy itch for a new Monkey Ball because at the time Monkey Ball wasn't really doing anything. But yeah, they made <sighs> that weird open world platformer Monkey Ball Adventure. Oh yeah, I never played that, but I heard it was mm. god awful, terrible, absolutely terrible. <laughs> yeah, one of these days we'll have to do an episode specifically on ball rolling based games. <laughs> well, judging on 
what's coming in the near future for the genre. We might have might to be closer than we think. <laughs> wait, wait, you're not you're not pumped for V Rally Four. We finally got a launch date, and it's coming yes. September twenty fifth. Uh oh, I read that backwards. September 6th on the PS4 and Xbox One. <laughs> September 25th on the PC. And as for the Switch version that we are very much looking forward to, it's TBA. <gasps> You're kidding. Switch version coming out later than its counterparts, and it doesn't have a release date. That's new. Yeah. Uh, to continue the theme of V Rally being our Dacia Sandero, um, I actually, I actually, I mean, you too, we're looking forward to the Switch port kind of because, you know, it could be the first decent non Mario Kart racing game on the Switch, yeah. uh, but also obviously the one that they would um, delay if they had to delay a version. So I'm, I'm not particularly excited for the, you know, the um, full on home console versions. But I really hope that they get the Switch one out relatively soon afterwards, because I'd, I'd like to play it. I'd like to give it, a, give it a try. To make it relevant, they have to get it out before the end of the year. That's my call. Um, yeah. They, they won't be able to justify a full price release for a game that will probably be half price three weeks after launch on other consoles. Yeah, that's true. And and I hope they I hope they keep the extreme Kana mode for the Switch one as well. <laughs> oh, they will. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But um, just speaking of um, the fact that that would be the first proper racing game on Switch, have you heard of Super Street the game by any chance? No, but I saw right before we recorded this, I saw you tweet something about it. I've never heard of it. Yeah. So it wasn't something I was paying attention to either until I randomly stumbled upon this on Amazon. But basically, um, Super Street's like a a magazine for tuning enthusiasts, I believe. and uh, the game's like kind of the MO of the game is essentially they've got like 800 customizable parts for your car, and that includes like seats, steering wheels, too many body kits to mention, and all of that tuning will probably be wrapped in a subpar racing experience. Just <laughs> my prediction. But um, it's Wait, really can that cool be the quote on the back of the box? <laughs> 800, 800 customization parts wrapped in the subpar racing experience. <laughs> Maybe I've been a bit harsh, but it's been made by a no-name studio, so it's better to not get hopes up. But, like, I love the idea of having, like, a dedicated tuning experience for, like, uh, cars and stuff, so I was kind of partly interested in it when it got announced for Steam, PS4, and Xbox One. Um, And then I was on Amazon UK looking at the upcoming Switch games, and they seem pretty certain that there's a Switch port complete with um, actual box art that they haven't just uh, placeholdered it. They've got a full description that mentions the Nintendo Switch and the release date for 30th of November, which would be a month and a half after the launch of the other versions. So maybe it's just a mistake, but that seems pretty strange that um, Amazon would have dedicated box art, have a description that mentions the Nintendo Switch, complete with the trademark, to show it's an actual release, like a press release, and um, a release date, oddly, that isn't just the 31st of December. Now, see, here's the thing. Brendan, um, I have bad news for you because I just typed in Super Street the game on Google, and right. uh, the first results are videos from uh, from a gentleman named Black Panther, and the oh, no. the <laughs> titles of the videos are Super Street the game dot 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 is this a joke? Super Street the game <laughs> here's another one Super Street the game gameplay dot 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 bad news. Uh, so there's at least one guy on YouTube who really doesn't like this game. Um, somebody else uh, by the name of LP Ripper 24 TV in all caps a video. What if Super Street the game is not what you expected? So um, apparently so there, yeah, apparently there are people who are who are monitoring this game very closely and they're not they're none too pleased with it. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, I'd like to say I'm shocked. I just find it interesting that Amazon seems to made a Switch version of the game that I'd mentioned anywhere else. <laughs> uh, th- this is weird, though. So I'm actually looking at, I'm looking at gameplay, and it's, um, I'm assuming, I mean, it's from July, so I think it's from the PC or the PS4 version or something like that. And uh, what this guy is doing is he is modifying an R34 skyline. Right. But the interesting thing about this is the different parts that you can put on the car are actually parts from other cars. So you can put 
Corvette C7 taillights on R34 Skyline. You can also put <laughs> you can also put Supra taillights from like the late 90s Supra on a Skyline. It, it's very strange and disconcerting. Or like GTR, like R35 style taillights too. It, it's very weird. This is never seen anything like this. I mean, it actually looks kind of cool because there's kind of this um. There's this exploded view when you're modifying the cars, and you can actually see all the all the uh, parts Ooh. pop out. Not unlike um, one of the best games ever made, V Rally Three, how you could uh, explode all the panels on the car in the uh, car select. And of course, I'm not at all being facetious when I say one of the best games ever. But <laughs> but um, yeah, it. I mean, it's probably not very good. But there might be something in this customization because. Uh, Oh, this guy put a subwoofer in his car. Look at yeah. that. Oh, my God. I'm just watching some race gameplay, and it looks like cruising. Like, see one of those yeah. like, arcade versions of cruising? Yeah. But it's not a surprise. Like, I expected it to drive, like, trash. But, like, I don't know. There's something interesting about the idea of just making cars for the sake of it to that degree. Um, yeah. I mean, it's one of the things we say would have been interested in Sega GT if it was playable. Um, so... If we actually get the chance to go in depth and finally give a Corvette lights from a Dacia Sandero, then maybe it'll be worth the purchase. I mean, it reminds me a lot of games like that we used to see so much of, like Juiced and oh, God, uh, yeah. Street Racing Syndicate. And to be honest, none of those games were ever very good. But I guess the bar was lower back then, so I can't imagine that it's worse than that. Um... Something that's pretty funny is, uh, actually, if you scroll down on one of these videos, you know how YouTube does that thing where it auto-recognizes the game or the content you're talking about? Yeah. Uh, it's actually, it, it recognized Super Street the game as Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo HD Remix. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, so yeah, look forward to that if you want to play a, a racing game on your Switch. Oh, um, I just a bit of live news on the podcast. Um, an event photo has leaked for Forza Horizon Four that shows the um, the Warthog from Halo, which is fair enough. But in the event photo, there's also like a huge spaceship in the background from Halo, and like the kind of rising structure they showed in the Halo Infinite trailer. Don't know if you've seen that, Adam. But, oh like, wow! Yeah, no, yeah. I. That's weird. I'll link you up now so you can have a quick look at it. But yeah, it's nothing major, but it's pretty interesting that um, it looks like Halo will be collaborating with Forza again. Is this canonical? Um, oh, you know, based on this, can we expect the next Halo to take place in the UK? <laughs> <laughs> I just imagine Master Chief going to Nando's. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh man! All right, so uh, very crucial non-racing game discussion here. Um, I had to go to Chicago for business uh, almost two weeks ago, and Chicago is one of the only cities in the U.S. that has Nando's, so I got to have my first Nando's since 2013, and it was glorious. I was worried worried it wouldn't wouldn't stack up to to what my memories had built up in my head, but it was really good, and I also um, took three other journalists with me to go there. And I think they were all pleased and gave it high marks. So, yeah, Nando's, you have you have more fans in the U.S., which makes it even more criminal that you don't have a franchise in New York yet. So well, get on that. The weird thing is, like in the U.K., we are pretty much getting like all your big established um, like um, food places now. So we're getting a Denny's in Glasgow. We got a oh no, oh that's I'm so sorry. Denny's is trash. <laughs> But, like, oh. maybe this is a trade so you guys get Nando's, and I'm happy to take the hit if it means that you can get your chicken butterfly hit whenever you want it. <laughs> I mean, what's what's the what's the uh, general, you know, feeling towards Nando's? Is it just, like, over there? Is it, like, you've had it for so long, it's all over the place? Is it ubiquitous? Because, like, over here, like, you can't walk two feet in any major city without encountering, without encountering a Starbucks. That's not to say people don't still like going to Starbucks and enjoy it, but it is kind of like... It's almost like wallpaper at this point. Like, is, is that what Nando's is like over there? Yeah, it's like really good wallpaper. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, it's pretty much like, if you want good quality food, 
but you don't want to go to like an actual restaurant. Nando's is the default because it's just it's great chicken. It's everybody likes it here, but you're right in the sense that the kind of um, novelty factor of it wore off like years ago, basically. So mm. now it's just like it's the default if you're out with your friends. Nando's is the place to go because like yeah. nobody doesn't like Nando's. Put it that way. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how you could. It's amazing. They sell the sauce in uh, like various uh, supermarkets and stuff. Uh, in the U.S., and I've tried to make it myself. I mean, it's good. It has a general flavor of Nando's, but it, it, it can never be quite the same. Yeah, exactly. I'm the same. I've always tried making it myself in the house, but it it's never worth it, man. Like, I, I Funnily enough, I had the Nando's this week because I was um, in Edinburgh with work. And got to use those expenses, boy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, straight to Nando's, I got like the, the butterfly chicken with garlic bread. Petty salted chips and ten hot wings. It's delicious. Wow. Yeah. The the first time I went to Nando's, I because I am a notoriously picky either. Although I'm I'm a bit better now. I used to be like really picky when I was younger. So um, I would like like when I went to England, I was like not not having that, not having that, not having that. And when I went to Nando's, I was like, oh, chicken and rice and potatoes, like all the things that I eat so so I was very happy <laughs> but then I, I responded because I, I hadn't eaten I, I didn't have the best diet when I was over there um, so my response to that was the first time I went to Nando's I think I dropped like 40 pounds <laughs> like oh, eating man. just non-stop it was so <laughs> good I didn't regret it at all it was amazing yeah I was just going to say like seeing the UK everybody makes such a big deal out of like crispy creme and taco bell and that type of thing but in the US, it's probably just like a normality at this point. But it's the same with Nando's here. Like we're we're used to Nando's, but like hearing you go on about it as if it's this amazing thing, which is true, is strange because it's like a total role reversal to the way people pay like twelve pounds for six fucking donuts over here from Krispy Kreme. Yeah, although I I think it's a little. I don't think it's quite the same comparison because. It seems like everyone loves Nando's, even if it is a bit, you know, if everyone kind of knows what it is over there. It's a known quantity, and it's not as exciting anymore. Um, it seems like all around the world people love Nando's. And I'm not going to say all around the world people don't love Krispy Kreme, but I don't know. Like, Krispy Kreme, it's weird because they don't have the same, like, staying power in the U.S. as, like, I guess your Dunkin' Donuts or your... I mean, Dunkin' Donuts is, I guess, really the only our donut chain. So, like... But you see so many... You see probably, like, on a daily basis, 15 Dunkin' Donuts for every one Krispy Kreme. So it's, like, the idea that somebody's going to go out of their way for Krispy Kreme, like, it's okay. I mean, it's good, but it's not, like, you know... It's not not Nando's chicken, is basically what I'm saying. Krispy Kreme does not make Nando's chicken. (laughs) Well, I mean, people here literally queue at midnight for Krispy Kreme openings. Wow, yeah, it's wow. sad. I mean, I, I I hope that our um that our cultural offerings are half as good as yours, but I I suspect they never will be. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like it's the novelty factor of it. That's why we have like American candy stores, basically they're called, and mm-hmm. it's like people pay like, one pound ninety for like a can of Mountain Dew, and just crazy stuff like that because I think the novelty alone sells it. Like you guys get genuinely good chicken getting imported across, but. Um, we get to pay two pounds fifty for mint M and M's, which yeah. should be a thing everywhere. Just a point I would like to make. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those those crazy M M&M and M flavors that come out with they're good. But yeah, so um, in case you forgot what you're listening to, this is Time Extend the Racing <laughs> Game Podcast, uh, and I'm gonna bring it back on target uh, because I I haven't watched this video of uh, the Forza uh, Horizon Four stream they recently had because you had mentioned like oh they're driving around uh, Edinburgh. And uh, I'm looking at it now, and uh, it's it's pretty cool. I haven't watched it before. You said, yeah, it looks great. So it's pretty faithful. It oh, very much so. Um, that street, the kind of main one with the the castle in the background and um, the, the pillars, is um, it's called Princess Street, and that's like the most iconic part of Edinburgh. Um, and that's where I was staying in my hotel, funnily enough, earlier this week. And I I was just saying to you prior to the the start of the podcast, Adam, like it's weird seeing a Scottish location recreated so well because it doesn't tend to happen very oh, often, yeah. to be honest. For for the amount of good vistas and stuff we have here, um, 
the best in recent times was not killed in Project Cars too, which is once not again killed. another good comparison. <laughs> yeah. All the all, all the great so, all the great cities of the world, and then Scotland gets not killed. <laughs> it's just really funny because like every other track in that game looks majestic, and it's got like all these high-profile sponsors and stuff, and then like on the final turn at not kill, it's like Livingston Computer Repair. Or something. Oh my it's god, like, I love that. It's like I this tiny that. warehouse on the edge of an industrial estate that's now like immortalized in Project Cars 2. There's nothing more <laughs> I love than like the idea of like Polyphony Digital or Turn 10 or you know just these teams of people who are experts at what they do traveling the world to different locations and it all comes down to making that JPEG of living sync computer repair <laughs> on the final corner of Knock Hill. I, I love that that <laughs> That that is something that is, in, that is like specific to this genre. That is like inescapable. No matter how good yeah. you are, no matter what you make, you will still have to make their logo. Yeah, exactly. It's the same as well. Like I can't remember if it was Gran Turismo Six or the first Project Cars, but like in uh, Bathurst in the uh, last yep, corner, yep. there was like that huge like pedigree dog chum like advertising yes. they had at the time, oh <laughs> and it's just God. like recreated with ridiculous detail and I just imagine like the amount of time they would have spent creating like a dog chum um, advertising board at the end of that track and like it's a big brand, but in in here in the states, it's Sargento Cheese. But I always love how when you're at uh, Road America in Forza games yep. for a while, there would always be that Sargento Cheese truck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, it's fantastic! Yeah, I love and, I um, love stuff like that. But yeah, I'm looking at uh, I'm looking at the gameplay now. It's really good. It did re- it did remind me of like I love the idea that um, that playground got Edinburgh. Um, you know, reasonably, uh, or they, they got it pretty accurate. Meanwhile, Ubisoft made this, like, freakish <laughs> Frankenstein version of New York that, like, just is the, like, uncanny valley of weirdness. Yeah, it's just, like, an episode of Black Mirror. Yeah, it's, like, everything... <laughs> it's, like... it's, like, the the random parts of the city are, like, they're all there but they're like jumbled about in a weird mess and they're not quite where you should be it's it's like it's like a dream state honestly that that's why i get from a lot of the seas and the crew it's like when you have a dream about like being in your house but like everything's in a different place and also it's not your house at all but you think it's your house (laughs) i think that's one thing that playground uh, managed to do well like they they recreate specific areas and then around that they don't try and give the pretense it still looks at the real place so like if you look at horizons um australia they've got like uh surfers paradise and all those types of things recreated reasonably but like once you exit that area it's just like the a generic kind of driveway and i think that's fine because it doesn't create that uncanny effect like you were saying that the crew tries so hard to come across like the full America, and it was never going to be. Yeah, it's just too ambitious for what it's trying to do. I mean, all this yeah. stuff makes me wish, though, that like, granted, a lot of playground staff, I believe, is from Bazaar and uh, and worked on PGR, but like, I I just miss those games because for so many reasons. I mean, they were like my favorite uh, for a while. You know, the PGR series probably my favorite arcade racers, and it just the the detail at which they tried to, you know, at which they recreated cities and whatnot. And, you know, as many as, like, they had, like, something like five or six cities in PGR 4, I think. But they had so many in PGR 2 and, like, tons of different areas around the world, like, with kind of this... They go around and take photos and, like, get every street right and recreate it. You could actually go to New York in the first Project Gotham Racing. I did this a couple months ago, and I, I... started working in new york last october and uh they they recreated midtown manhattan so i went to brian park which is like one of the um anytime you see people ice skating in new york city they're doing it at brian park and uh and my office is right um basically across the street from one of the sides of brian park it's like i was able to drive there it's like in this game that was made you know 15 or jesus like 17 years ago it's just really cool so i i don't know i just miss like i miss pgr i just <laughs> i miss that yeah it was a great great series and 
just brings us it's funny we've almost come full circle um, yeah. in this podcast now talking about another franchise that won't be seen again it's just a shame that the ones that really did um, add that extra bit of detail and had a bit of extra heart are the ones that seem to struggle the most when it comes to commercial success yeah yeah it's true but I'm glad that uh, that Scotland's getting its due <laughs> yeah, you guys are finally, finally but... getting to enjoy the recognition that you know the rest of the world has gotten Livingston Computer Repair isn't getting all the plaudits now. Oh, you know, you know their their sales are going to go up. People are going to start rating them on Google Google Maps and Yelp, and they're going to get the odd you know cross commenter who's like really angry because they uh, they screwed up his repair, or they lost his computer, or something. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, yeah. Well, that seems like a pretty good place to end it, and. Uh, I feel like that that discussion went pretty fast, so I'd say the the freewheeling episode of Time Extend was a success. Yeah, it was good having a, a less uh, restrict not restrictive but a less structured format to just talk about random bits and pieces. And um, yeah, it was. I felt as if it was a good episode, and even if the the news is light, it proves we can still uh, grumble about everything from racing games to chicken. Yeah. And why you should save up for that copy of Test Drive Le Mans. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Alright, well, everyone, thanks again for listening, and we will see you again soon. Cheers, guys. Have a good one.